Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. It is uh, our privilege today. We, we're a future-focused church here at Encounter. And part of that means that we have an internship program that's incredibly important to us in our formation and discipleship of followers of Jesus. And what that does is it forms young women and men who are passionate about Jesus and it, it actually transforms them. It transforms the way they live, transforms the way they follow Jesus. And one of the things we do is we give an opportunity, not a requirement because it's pretty stressful, but an opportunity for people who, who want to test the waters by preaching and sharing the Word of God uh, from the platform. And we are so excited tonight that Emma McCarthy and Jordan Lee Coates are going to be preaching the Word of God tonight. And both of them are, are people of character. They're people who strive after God wholeheartedly and the people who we love dearly at Encounter Church. So as she comes to speak and preach to you for the first time ever, will you just stand and honour and warmly welcome Emma McCarthy. She comes to bring the word tonight. Hi, my name's Emma, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm a former intern. I'm also the church's highly sought-after babysitter. Um, you often find me holding babies that aren't even mine, or teaching anything from dancing to swimming. Now, because I work with children a lot, I'm privy to some pretty funny conversations. You know the ones you overhear in the shops where the children are being a little too truthful? For example, I was tucking Noah, Pastor Mike and Pastor Jen's son into bed the other day while I was babysitting and all of a sudden, I don't know how or why we got onto this subject, but he blurted out, I think my daddy's getting fat. <laughs> it's because he's eating too much, you know. And I was like, don't affirm, don't deny. Like I mentioned before, I'm a swimming instructor. My class is full of two to three-year-olds. And it's the first class we're in the water without their parents. We're in the deep end of the pool, so we puff their teeny tiny arms with gigantic floaties, and it makes them look like they have about three extra chins. There's this little girl who's brand new to my class who has no filter whatsoever. I was busy helping another kid the other day, and she calls out and says, excuse me, lady. I was sort of taken aback. I was, she said, I don't want to do this no more. Um, all while squinting her eyes and pouting her lips. This two-year-old did not want to swim and firmly held on to the truth that she was done with her swimming. May I mention this was only 10 minutes into the half an hour swimming lesson. How was I supposed to tell this little girl that she still had to swim for another 20 minutes? Meanwhile, the parents look absolutely mortified and the dad, no joke, hid his head in his hands and shook his head in embarrassment. Who here knows that kids have no shame and no fear when it comes to sharing their version of the truth? I'm sure every parent has encountered one of these moments, and if you're not currently a parent of young children, I'm sure you have definitely overheard something similar to the previous stories, right? Yeah. You know those awkward moments in the restrooms? <laughs> 
Let's get into the Word of God. Now, I'm not going to read out to John for you all today because we only have a short time. However, I do encourage you to read it in your own time. Let's dive in and explore what John has to say about truth in love. In this letter, John, the elder, is writing to another church, the chosen lady, and is delighted that some of his congregation are walking in truth. In fact, John holds the idea of truth very tightly. It's mentioned five times in four verses. John is writing this letter to address the issue of false teachers that were traveling amongst John's congregations at the time. They were traveling with the intentions to captivate and convert people and intending to take advantage of Christian hospitality to advance their cause. John was concerned for his people as these traveling teachers held and taught what was common heresy at the time called docetism. This is the belief that the sufferings of Christ were superficial and not real, and that after the crucifixion, Jesus appeared in a spiritual body, or in other words, Jesus lacked humanity. These teachers were teaching false truths among the congregations. These teachers, who may have been well-meaning, were taking away the truth of Christianity. They were opposing the fact that Jesus suffered for us, as well as opposing the physical, authentic resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is is the foundation of Christianity. It's what makes Christianity true. So John was writing this letter to illuminate the importance of loving by holding fast to this truth that was being opposed. But as Pontius Pilate said to Jesus in John chapter 18, verse 38, what is truth? Both love and truth mean so many different things in our culture, and it's hard to know what truth and love actually mean. For example, truth isn't just for acknowledging things which correspond to reality, like it's raining when it actually is. Truth for John goes beyond that. In fact, John says in verse 2 that truth is something that abides in us and will be with us forever. And love, well, you see, in our culture today, we tend to build walls of tolerance rather than opening doors with love. We tend to walk through life reflecting what's around us, too scared to break down the walls when faced with differing beliefs. We are taught and conditioned to believe that we should never insist or affirm anything, but should always love. We can never actually say that anything is wrong, but that your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and if we do insist or push our truth, then we're being unloving or holding an arrogant and intolerant attitude, and we're being unchristian. That's a hard place to sit in, a tolerant love and a heated view of truth. But what actually needs to happen is for us to hold truth and love together. Timothy Keller says it like this, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Whereas truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. We cannot build one another up through niceness or encouragement. We must love one another enough to courageously and wisely speak the truth. Just let me say this again. We cannot build one another up through niceness and encouragement. We must love one another enough to courageously and wisely speak the truth. John warns his congregations about the traveling teachers and in fact goes on to call these traveling teachers in verse 7 deceivers and the antichrist. John goes on in verses 10 and 11 to suggest that if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked ways. 
John's language seems harsh and his solution to the problem may seem like he isn't doing what he explained to do in the first section of the letter, which is to continue to love one another. I know I certainly thought that. When reading the way John instructed his congregation to treat these traveling preachers, I started to lean towards more defensive side of the fence. I thought, well, isn't that a bit mean, a bit exclusive? And in fact, our tolerant culture may contribute to the way that we read and respond to this part of the letter, as, the way, as well as the way we feel about John's solution to the issue. John's suggestions for his congregation on how to manage the false teachers might raise the argument of inclusivity versus exclusivity. Are we called to include others, to love others and be hospitable, or to be inclusive in our approach to others, to shut others out and be discriminative? John's approach initially seems exclusive in nature, but yet are we not called to love one another? We need to remember that John is specifically talking about Christians who are teaching and preaching against the coming and suffering of Jesus in human form. He is addressing people who are not walking in truth, people who have known and experienced the immense love and grace of God and should be wise enough to know better. Within tolerant culture today, we try so hard to be hospitable. But you see, there's both inclusivity and exclusivity in Christianity itself. The message of God's love and grace is for everybody, and God's acceptance is for everybody. But only those who believe and trust in Jesus can have the eternal life that is promised. Now, this doesn't mean that we go against John's teaching in the first part of the letter. We are still called to love others. But John is requesting the receiver of the letter, the church, to hold both truth and love together, just as God and Jesus have done for us. As it says in verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. You see, John is telling the receiver to not provide hospitality, which is love in action, to these traveling teachers and preachers because their truth does not point people towards God's powerful and redeeming love for us and toward Jesus' sacrifice. If these teachers are not pointing people towards God's love, then they aren't really preaching God's love at all. This truth that is being challenged and spoken against in John's congregations is not a small truth. It is not a truth that is surface level, but is one that is foundational and profound for followers of Jesus. The fact that Jesus came in the flesh and died for us is something that is not to be swept under the rug in the name of tolerant love. To deny Jesus coming in the flesh and him dying for our sins takes away the pain and the suffering Jesus took for us. It minimizes God's powerful and redeeming love. The idea of tolerance can work in both an active and a passive way. Our hospitality and love towards false teachers can be twisted into thoughts of approval and acceptance. And this is what John is warning us about. This may seem harsh, but John explains the importance of guarding our hearts, minds, and spirits from teachings of truth that go against God's love for us. We need to be on guard against the untruths that say this present, present, unredeemed world is all that there is, and that the way things are set a precedent for the way things should be. What we allow into our hearts and minds forms us and grows us, just like the worship songs we sing. When they are sung over and over again, they become catchy. You start humming them in your car, 
you stop whistling when you do the dishes and you belt them out like you're in the shower. When you consistently sing those words over and over in your mind, they start to change you. The truths that we speak over our lives have the power to change us, either in a negative or a positive way. While we might not be faced like the kind of situations or the kind of people that John was talking about in his letter, there may be many untruths in our own lives that we need to wrestle with. In today's society, truth is constantly changing. One day this might be good for you and the next day that might be good for you. One day this might make you happy, the other day that might make you happy. But what is your truth? What are you letting into your hearts? What truths are forming you? It can be tricky to know when and where to draw the line on what truths we let into our hearts and minds and spirits. We need to be able to sift through them and discern which ones are helpful and which ones are harmful. Now, there may be times where we are consciously and unconsciously guided towards and tempted by the many visions of truth in this world. We are tossed and torn between what is displayed in the headlines and in other people's highlight reels. It is in these times that we need to listen to God's truth. The fact that Jesus came to earth in human form and suffered and died for us so that we could be in a relationship with him. That is one foundational truth that is steadfast, is a truth that you can anchor yourself to. It is a truth that we should be letting form our minds, hearts, and spirits. This is an unshakable and unchangeable truth that we should be exclusive with. When we become flexible and sacrifice this truth in the name of tolerant love, we deny the suffering that occurred on our behalf and the sacrifice of God's own son for our sins to be wiped clean. Not only do we need to firmly grasp, trust, and embody God's truth, we are also called to love others. This is where truth and love come together. The proof of our love is held for God is held in the way we love others. In the same way that the source and framework of God's love is Jesus coming in human form for us. The truth that God wants us to hold on to and God's ultimate display of love for us was sending his only son to suffer on our behalf. God's love is not the tolerant kind of love. It is not the love that says, I will love you even though our truths differ. But rather, it is the truth that says, I will love you enough to speak this truth to you. It is the love that cries out through your brokenness, I will still love you enough to speak my truth over you. Now, if the truth mentioned above seems too big to hold on to right now, that's actually okay. Here at Encounter, we hold on to the value that you can belong before you believe. And if you don't know what truths are out there for you to speak over your life, the ones that will help form you and grow you, there are some simple truths and they can all be found in here, the Bible. God says you are made in his image. You are fully known, forgiven, never alone, protected, redeemed, and greatly loved. Now, back to this little girl at the pool. I could have told her that swimming obviously wasn't for her and she should, and she wasn't cut out for it and she should go home. I could have responded with just tolerant love. I could have told her that it was all right and that she didn't have to learn to swim if she didn't want to and she could hold on to the bar and blow bubbles for the next 20 minutes. 
but instead I responded by holding the truth and the love together. And I said, why don't you come with me? We can do our swimming together. I will help you. You will not sink. I am right here. And that is exactly what God does. He will be there keeping us afloat because God is a loving father who guides us to the truth that grows us. So what now? I'm going to leave you with three things that you can take away with you tonight. The first thing is that we need to sift, search, and discern the truths that form us. We need to find God's truth. Now, not only do we need to find God's truth, but we actually need to listen and trust in the truths that form us. We need to listen to God's truths. God's truth is something that we can anchor ourselves to in times of trouble, when everything else seems like it's shifting. God's truth is unchanging. So once we find God's truth, the real challenge is actually listening to God's truth above all the other visions of truth that are thrown at us. And lastly, we need to love one another. We need to embody the love that God displayed, not the tolerant kind, but the kind of love that speaks truth. We need to be able to hold on to truth and love together, and that can be done when we are courageous and wise enough to love by speaking God's truth. Thank you. So good. Well done, Em. It's so comforting to sit on the truth of God and to know that Jesus is truth embodied for us and that through Scripture that's revealed to us and and we hear all the truths of God. It's so important. Hey, uh, church, I'm so really excited for Jordan to come. So why don't you stand and honour and celebrate Jordan as he comes to bring the Word of God tonight. G'day. Oh, you've already taken a seat. I didn't need to say anything. So I'm Jordan. Um, as mentioned beforehand, I'm a two-time intern under Mike. Um, double the trouble. <laughs> and I'm very nervous. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, but God's given me a word from 3John, and we'll see where it goes. So I don't know about you guys, but when I first came here, and still now, I struggle to commit, connect with the new people that come to our church. I often find myself kind of ducking and weaving um, my way to the coffee cart to get my caffeine fixed before I'm up in band or I'm in the congregation listening, preparing to listen to Mike. Um, but that always backfires on me. I always end up having a conversation with someone new and lovely and then find out they've been coming for many months. I guess I can wave away most invitational person awards from church. Um, but, and I can imagine some of you guys can feel the same way. It's a bit hard to connect with the new people. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that some of you are new. Due to our rapid growth over the past year, and especially even over COVID, that there are faces in this room that I don't recognize. Please come say hello to me. I want to meet you. I want to know who you are and get you connected into the church. And so if you're wondering why that cutie across the courtyard hasn't come over to speak to you yet, it's likely they're thinking the same thing as you and are wondering why, you haven't, why they're not speaking to you. <laughs> and if you're not new to the church, or if you are new to the church, that's on us. It's up to the leadership here to set the culture of being welcoming and hospitable. 
So this message isn't just for the new people, it's for everyone here. And if you're waiting for your invitation to be welcoming in this place, you think you're too new, you're not. You, everyone is welcome to... Everyone is welcome to welcome others, to welcome each other into the space of God. And in 3 John, we can kind of imagine the same thing happening. At the same time, this, at the time that this letter is being written to the church, churches would have been kind of similar to what we have in life groups, very simple gatherings, but a bit larger, probably 30 to 50 people. To get the gospel messages out, the early leaders in the church, the high-ups, would send out traveling preachers to give the messages to this church, like similar to what we have when we have a guest preacher. You know, Matt Gray came last week. It was amazing. But God anoints these people to come into the church, and they're sent out by John. And the letter, okay, so the preachers would honest, would usually come with a letter to preach to each church, but this one was sent directly to a leader of the small church. We'll call him Gaius because that's his name. <laughs> he was writing because John had received good reports on previous ventures from these preachers, that he was being hospitable, he was being lovely, he was sending them out with more than they had. He was being very hospitable. And, to, and because of that, his church, what well, was very small to begin with, was growing rapidly. He was making his church into a pillar under God in faith in his region, becoming a great example for his neighboring churches. And here's where we come to the crux of 3 John. John was running into some issues of one of the leaders of, this small church, of these small churches called Diotrephes. It says in John's letter from 3 John 1, chapter, uh, verses 9 to 10, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the first place among them, does not receive our authority. This is why, if I come, I, remember, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words, and he is not satisfied with that. He, only, he not only refuses to welcome fellow believers but even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Because Diotrephes was so keen to put himself first and hold on to his power that he held leading the church, he was purposely refusing the authority of the preachers that John was sending out, who, was given, who were given authority by John to preach the gospel, Bearing in mind, John was given his authority to preach the gospel from Jesus Christ himself. He slanders, Diotrephes was slandering the church leaders and stopping those in the church from receiving the authority of those preachers. Even going as far as expelling, getting rid of, saying goodbye to the people who were trying to do that thing. What Diotrephes is guilty of doing boils down to is trying to control the Holy Spirit, trying to hold on to what the Spirit is doing and telling it what to do. And slandering John, a head leader in the early church, someone who was given his authority to by Jesus Christ and leading the early church and sending the example for what we do today. The letter is sent as a call to radical and loving hospitality between believers and extending it out to non-believers. 
to lay down their preferences and resources to uplift one another in faith. These are Christians. Where does John get this example of hospitality from? Well, it's Jesus. Instead of using his, Jesus, instead of using his power and authority, he chose to give it up so that we could join him in heaven if we choose to follow him. How, does he do, how did he do this? Well, he died on a cross. He, put up, he gave up his own life so that we could join him. Ultimately, he shows hospitality by making a way back home for us, to be in the presence of God as we, and we see him welcome his friends with arms opened wide, nailed to the cross. I was going to do this, but the mic's a bit far out. <laughs> if I wanted to leave you with a nice feeling message, the answer would be to open, would to be open and to be inviting to all people. It's no understatement that encounter is above the average church when it comes to being open to new people. But that's way too low of a bar. Why are we not pushing it further to invite new people and to walk alongside them as they come into the church and as they come to know Jesus Christ more? Here's the hard line of the message. Be hospitable to the Holy Spirit in all ways. What was it? Be hospitable to the Holy Spirit in all ways. Yes. I would probably best describe what that means to us is doing what the Spirit is prompting you to do. This comes into stark contrast of what Diotrephes was doing. And this is a call to all of us, not just the leaders. It's to everyone. If we are living as Christians and believing that the Spirit inhabits us, we need to be open to its promptings and what the Spirit can do in our lives. We need to stop putting up barriers in our lives to stop the Spirit from working. But what does that mean practically? What are some, I don't know, some examples of what can we do? Are you comfortable where the church is at at the moment, with its size and with the people that you know? You need to kill that comfort. And it sounds bad, but it's something that will help our church grow in faith and in numbers. Push yourself to encourage the new people that are around to join a life group and connect with them and walk alongside them as they grow. You want to run a team at church because you think you can do it better. Maybe you can, but I don't know, Alex is pretty good. But we need to kill that ego and uplift and encourage those in leadership to do it better and to lead with authority. Your preference from worship is different to what we do. It's a bit too, I don't know, crazy. I jump around a lot. It's fun. But the thing is, we're worshipping God. It's not about our preference. His preference is for us to be under Him and praising Him and worshipping and loving Him, not to analyse what's happening on a stage. If the drummer drops his sticks. I don't know, Cooper. We love you anyway. (laughs) I come preaching this to you as I preach it to myself. I sat with this, for this message long in my heart before I wrote it down. God has the power to move in all places, but how can we expect him to work miracles in this place if our hearts are not set on him and following the commands he has set? And if you're new here, I want you to know that this church is a place where all people are welcome. The church is not a place of exclu- exclusivity, but inclusivity. But salvation through Christ is is exclusive. 
You can't go away from here proclaiming Christ with your mouth and not with your actions. If you leave this place still yet to make that decision, that's fine. It's absolutely fine. It takes time. Encounter is a place where you can uh, are free to belong before you believe. Mirroring what Emma said, mirroring what Mike and Jenny have said a hundred times, if not thousands. If we are leading a church, this is back to the leaders, if we are leading a church and saying all the right things, but blocking the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are no better than Diotrephes. But also, you might be sitting there thinking, oh, thank gosh, I'm not a leader, I'm just a guy, I can just hang out. But this applies to all of us friends. If you've been here, even for one week, there's probably another new person looking at you being like, looking for leadership to see what the church culture is and what's meant to be happening. John goes on to leave us with this beautiful line in 3 John 1, 11. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not yet seen God. If we are given this wonderful outpouring of hospitality from Jesus Christ, our natural response is radical hospitality for Christians and for those around us who aren't yet Christians. From all denominations, all walks of life, Christian and non-Christian alike, everything Jesus has ever done has been good. And our response is to simply follow him and let him shape us into people of God following his example. Just imagine what kind of culture we could be setting a church. F- what? <laughs> Just, okay. Go back a couple seconds. Just imagine what kind of culture we could be setting for the church of Adelaide and the churches around those directly if we did these things. A church that looks that others look to for a healthy and growing example of a church, one where we lift each other up constantly, submitted to the authority of our leaders and backed their decisions from Christ, and invited and encouraged new people into the church, then into faith with Christ. You see, though, it's two different steps. It's inviting them to the church and then letting them know Christ. It doesn't go the other way around. We need to have, be walking alongside these people as they come into the church. We could be a church that leaves a positive revolution into the church of Adelaide, God willing, but that will never happen without our own personal renewal. We need to be looking inwards before we attempt to lead outwards. So good. Hey, um, I just, I just want to echo and affirm Jordan and Emma in their work tonight. I, I can't overemphasize how stressful and how uh, how hard it is to come and bring the Word of God. And I've seen them wrestle with the text and pray and discern and write stuff down, screw it up and write it again. And uh, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna throw someone in the deep end by letting them preach, just throw them right in the deep end by getting them to preach on false teachers. That'll really mess them up. But there, there is an overarching message that comes through these letters, the letters of John and the letters of Peter and Jude, which I preached on, and Titus that Brant preached on. They're often about false teachers. And here's the reason. We live in a culture in which we are presented with a wide array of truth, a thousand different voices telling us what is and isn't right. And there in the midst of it is Jesus. 
God's truth in person, in flesh, incarnate, calling us home. And I wonder if whether you're new here, whether you're, you're a Christian who's come along to celebrate with Jordan and Emma, where you walked through the door for the first time, you're going, this is a lot about false teachers. Um, I just wonder whether what God wants you to hear tonight is simply this. What are the voices I'm allowing to influence me? Is it the voice of God as revealed through Jesus, as whispered through the Holy Spirit, as laid down in the books of the Bible? Or is it a thousand different voices amongst your peers, amongst advertising campaigns, amongst influencers? What are the voices you're allowing to shape you tonight? Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you're able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.